Hi everyone, welcome back to the Congressional App Challenge Debugged Podcast. I'm your host, Meitha, and today we have Ruth Farmer with us. Ruth Farmer has focused on tech inclusion since 2001. She is the founder and CEO of the Last Mile Education Fund. She previously served as Chief Evangelist for CS for All, served as Senior Policy Advisor for Tech Inclusion at the White House Office of Science and Technology Policy, working on President Obama's call to action for Computer Science for All, and previously led strategy in K-12 programs at the National Center for Women and Information Technology for eight years. Farmer has launched and scaled multiple national programs designed to boost diversity and participation in technology fields. That includes the cs for all Summit, JROTC-CS in partnership with the U.S. Air Force, NCWIT's Aspirations in Computing, Technologicas, the Aspire IT Outreach Program, LEGO Robotics for Girl Scouts, and more. She served as 2012 Chair of CSED Week, was named a White House Champion Change for Technology Inclusion in 2013, received the Anita Borg Institute for Social Impact in 2014, and the UK Alumni Award for Social Impact in 2015. She holds a BA from Lewis and Clark College and an MBA in Social Entrepreneurship from the University of Oxford. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing today? I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Doing great. That's great to hear. I'll just get right into it. So you founded the Last Mile Education Fund. What is the Last Mile Education Fund and what were some of your primary goals that you had in mind when founding it? So I've been working for a long time on getting more young people into the talent pipeline for technology. And over the course of those many years, I found that a lot of the lower income students weren't making it all the way through. And if you look at the national data, only 11% of low income students will finish college within six years. So it feels like all that effort to get young people into the pipeline is wasted if we don't get them out the other side. And the Last Mile Education Fund is really a culmination of 20 years of working on this and realizing that there's this gap. So what we do is we make a promise to students, to young people that like, if you come into this pathway, we're here for you to help you make sure you finish. So we pay for the gap in your financial aid between what you have and what you need to pay to get to graduation. So since we started in 2020, we have funded almost 800 grants, totaling close to a million dollars, ranging from $600 to $10,000, just help students close that gap, graduate and get into the workforce. Because once you've made all that commitment to getting that far, we can't afford to lose you. And we see ourselves as incubating and investing in young people. That's incredible. And how did you decide that you were gonna spearhead the effort? I was kind of just doing it anyway. Like I was using my air miles to fly students to their internships when they couldn't afford a plane ticket. I was resolving hurdles for students on my own. And it was actually our co-founder, Ryan, who her junior, senior year in college was going to decline an internship because she couldn't afford to get to the internship and get a place to live before she got paid. And I helped her resolve that. And I was like, she was lucky enough to know me and her faculty member, Sarah, who had helped her in many other ways. Yeah. But what about the thousands of other students that don't? And so the idea was, how do we scale this? And I'm happy to say that as of this month, we've raised $12.5 million and wow. we are um, on track to support 
as many as 10,000 students over the next few years. And our goal is 30,000 students in a decade. And we've calculated that will generate over $2 billion of economic impact. And it will bring people out of poverty. Getting a job in technology means you make on average $43,475 more per year than if you only had some college. And so we're really excited about what it's gonna mean for getting low-income families out of poverty and into middle-class wage jobs. Not only that, but also contributing to the technology that we all obviously depend on every single day right now and for the future, as far as we can see it. Wow, that's absolutely incredible. And some of the statistics that you just cited, absolutely inspiring as well. Just because you don't realize like, what impact can be made by bringing more people in, which is really great to hear. And so do you have any favorite, you know, people that you've met because of the journey that you've been on with trying to help people achieve their goals or any funny stories or just favorite moments? Yeah, I've been doing this a really long time. And as you mentioned, I launched Aspirations in Computing and Tecnologicas and Aspire IT and uh, Girl Scouts. One of my favorites is there's this amazing magazine and I'm on their board called Reinvented Magazine, which is the first magazine by women in STEM for girls in STEM. And that magazine was founded by a young woman who got her start in technology in a Girl Scout robotics program. I launched the Girl Scout robotics program when I was at Girl Scouts. And so then she did it in middle school and then now she's an aerospace engineer and she's launched this magazine to inspire others. So over the course of 15, 20 years, this like I'm seeing the fruits of all those investments early on. The other thing I'd say is when people are like kids today, they aren't doing anything, blah, blah, blah. All they do is be on their phone. Like you're clearly not meeting the kids I meet because I meet incredible young people that are solving social and societal and environmental problems with technology. Young people that are concerned about their fellow humans and um, looking to make an impact in the world. And I just recently met up with a bunch of young people when I was in Boston, and these were all young women at different stages in their path. Some of them were in college, some of them were already into the workforce. And one young woman is working on attacking gun violence by looking at conspiracy theories and sort of dark web data and what's happening on the internet that's pushing people into these extremist viewpoints and how the internet and social media is doing that. And she got inspired by the Parkland shootings and she founded Never Again Tech. And then she proceeded to keep working on this, like how can we use technology to deal with the gun violence that is plaguing our country and making it an unsafe place. And it's been really inspiring to see her trajectory really since high school to where now she's in the workforce in a job where she is using her breed power to attack this problem at scale. Yeah, absolutely. And actually reinvented magazine, you mentioned that I actually uh, am subscribed to that. And so I know that it's such a good magazine. And I, I know a couple of people who are also on the board and the people there are just so hardworking and just so down to earth and really care. Well, and the thing about reinvented was aspirations in computing is this community of young women. So any young woman 14 and up can join aspirations in computing in high school. You joined by applying for the award for aspirations in computing. Once you're in college, you can just apply if you're in a computing related major, but it is the coolest 
secret private girl gang ever and they just talk to each other and help each other and support each other and they start companies and they do all these things together and the way that reinvented came about was Kaylee said one day if there was a magazine like 17 magazine but about stem I would read that magazine and something like 200 other students then said yeah I would too and then that was the inspiration for for launching that mm -hmm. and I find it really inspiring to see how through this community of peers and friends that are all technical, all have something in common, and they're all mostly young women, that they have built this culture of support and encouragement and engagement. And it has launched dozens and dozens of startups, nonprofits, outreach programs, and this amazing magazine, which I highly recommend you pick up. Mm -hmm. I also buy that their annual princesses with power tools calendar for all of my nieces because it's real women engineers and um, doing real things yeah that's absolutely incredible and yeah for anyone listening that's interested I'm also in the aspirations in computing community and it's so inspiring and incredibly helpful as well it's not just people starting companies and stuff it's also people saying hey I need help in this class and then dozens of people volunteering which is very helpful for someone who's a student. But I wanted to ask a little bit about some patterns that you might have noticed just throughout your time working in promoting inclusion in technology, specifically with education. The good news is um, we no longer have to argue that this is an important thing to do. When I first started doing this work, I'd be on the airplane, I'd be sitting next to some mm -hmm. business guy and he'd ask what I do. And I was like, oh, I'm working on women and girls in technology. And he'd say something like, oh, my wife, doesn't like technology or my daughter's on her phone all the time. And I was like, that is not what I'm yeah. talking about. Today, I think everyone recognizes how important it is. Clearly with the pandemic and the way we've all become very dependent on technology for communications, shopping, yeah. commerce, even like family connection. It's so clear how, whether you're working in technology directly or just working in the world, you're going to have to use it. Mm -hmm and it's going to be part of your life. And the question is, do you want to be someone who is the creator of the technology or do you wanna be someone who's at the mercy of the creators? And so just having the knowledge of how all this comes together is really critical for you as looking yeah. at your future. So I'm saying this to all the young people that might be listening, that just having the foundational knowledge of what computing is really important. So I'm excited that people are, are definitely aware of the problem and the opportunity that is a, a career technology. There's half a million jobs just in cybersecurity. It is the fastest growing, most yeah. Yeah. potentially lucrative job you can get with even a two year or four year degree. So it's the fastest way to a professional level salary. If you wanna be a, um, doctor, it's going to take you 12 years. You want to be a lawyer, it's going to take you at least six, maybe eight years and a ton of student loans. Meanwhile, you could become an engineer and be making over $100,000 a year in just four years. And in cybersecurity, you could do it in two years. So just really think about that in terms of the time value of yeah. money. Yeah. I think the, the challenging thing is that this conflation of STEM and computing and technology. When you look at the, when people talk about STEM, what they might be thinking in their mind is science or math. Every kid takes science in the whole US. Mm -hmm. Very 
a fraction of students are taking rigorous yeah. technology and engineering in high school or in school period. And so I think the increased conversation around STEM is great, but when at the policy level they're like STEM, but what they really mean is technology and engineering, but at the implementation level, you might be getting basic science, basic math, basic. I think that worries me because I'm very interested in it's, we wouldn't be paying software engineers a hundred thousand dollars a year if this was super easy. Yeah. It is hard. And so I, I worry about the messaging of this is so easy. Anybody could do it. Anybody who works at it can do it. It is work. It is challenging because it's a high level skill. And for the young people listening, my, my two pieces of advice I typically give on this is take all the math you can while you're in high school, because that math is free. And when you get to college, taking that math will cost you a lot of money and time. So take all the math in high school that you can and get out there and play with technology and, and explore. You might be into hardware, you might be into software, you might be into graphics or 3D or artificial reality. There's all kinds of different places. The other thing I'd like young people to understand is there's way more tech outside of the tech industry than in the tech industry. Being in tech doesn't mean you have to move to California or Seattle or New York. You can literally have a tech job anywhere in the country because almost every company now is saying, we are a tech company that does healthcare. We are a tech company that does retail. I was talking to Walmart yesterday. They're like, we are a tech company. And we do retail and online sales. And the reality is if a company has an elevator, they have software. That is the reality. Don't think that it means you have to move away from where your family is. Don't think that it means you have to work in a tech company just creating tech. Because what you could be doing is enabling healthcare with tech. You could be enabling shipping with tech. Look at what's happening with our ports. Why we can't get all these boats in and get the supply chain fixed. That's a technology problem. So it's really about problem solving and which I think is really exciting and a fun thing to do with your life. It's also changing all the time. Say you become a, a, a history teacher, right? It's not gonna change that much over time, but technology is so dynamic. It's like constantly changing. The technology I'm using right now to talk to you on this podcast wasn't even really available five years ago. If you want a career that's really like dynamic and exciting this is a really good one no that's such good advice i agree honestly from i i feel like what i've heard a lot from people my age is oh technology is too hard and they get turned off by the idea that they think it's just sitting at a computer all day and they don't realize that there's so many applications to technology in so many different fields and ways of going about it because technology honestly the definition is just so broad can literally mean anything. What is it? I think I heard someone say 100, 200 years ago, a tractor was technology. And now look at how far we've gone in terms of becoming more sophisticated and defining what technology is. So I think that's really inspiring. And I wanted to ask you, you mentioned a little bit about your thoughts about computer science education and also policy regarding STEM education. Can you talk a little bit about what your ideal world would look like? And I know that you've also had some sort of experience in federal education policy in STEM. So can you talk a little bit about that and what your ideal world would look like for the education system? Yeah, I would love us as a country to get back to investing in education as a way of investing in the productivity of our people. 
That's why we built the public education system. I feel like we have backtracked a bit. And if you look at how much state and federal sp spending is going into higher education and K-12 education relative to inflation and other things, we're spending less than we had been. And it's so expensive now to get a college degree that it, it really shouldn't be because we desperately need the talent. So one thing I'd like to see is a sincere investment in technology education in a way that recognizes like our need. If we have half a million open jobs in cybersecurity, for example, we should do everything we can to educate people in yeah. cybersecurity. And one way we could do that is pay. You pay for the things you need. And yeah. years ago, somebody asked me like, how can we get more girls into computer science? I was like, why don't we just make it free? Why don't we stop with spending all this money on out outreach and engagement programs and just say all wow. degrees in computer science for women are free. Like, wouldn't that be cheaper? And so I would really love to see us take a hard look at what are the job needs in the United States? What are gonna keep us economically competitive around the globe as well as, you know, keep the innovation focus of our economy because we obviously need that for dealing with things like a pandemic and distributing vaccines and all of the things that you have to do to respond to a crisis. And that means investing in education in a meaningful way. Now, policy in the federal government and the state government is really hard. And I encourage as many of you as possible to take a run at spending some time. I would love to see in an ideal state, I would love one third of Congress to be made up of engineers and scientists. And most of people in Congress are lawyers and business people and people who like got rich in some other way and can afford it. And that's not representative of our population. So I'd love to see more technical people in Congress and in government. For those of you that are thinking about your potential career, you can have such a huge impact on millions of people's lives by bringing your technical skills to government. Whether it's the federal government, in public service, in the military, or even in working in Congress. Definitely think about that. I actually just saw there was a fellowship that just they just announced for working actually in the White House for recent computer science graduates. I think I just posted about it yesterday, but there's lots of opportunities to get your feet wet. And I came to the White House with zero government experience. I had not been a student government person in school or anything. And I learned that policymaking is really just like making a list of the things that need to happen and figuring out how to make them happen. And so, my big policy win, which I'm very proud of, is something called the Promotes Act of 2020, which we we started working on in 2019, managed to pass in 2020, uh, which passing legislation in a divided Congress is really hard. But we passed the Promotes Act as part of the Defense Act. And what it does is authorize a program to bring computer science education and STEM and other technology education to junior ROTC. And I had found out that of the 550,000 junior ROTC students, only 32% of their schools were teaching computer science. So I took that information to Congress and I said, look, 
this is a group of young people who has already put on a uniform is the most likely to participate in the civil service and, and the military. Shouldn't we make sure that they are prepared? And we use that to authorize the first year 13 million into the budget to fund computer science and cybersecurity and STEM in junior ROTC high schools. And I'm hopeful that over the next five years that we'll be able to push a whole bunch of money into the schools through the Department of Defense. And I did that and I used that strategy because it doesn't matter who is president or who's in power, the Department of Defense always has money. It's the one piece of the federal budget that always passes is the Defense Act. It has to pass, it has passed every year for 58 years running. But you have to get a little creative in policy making sometimes. Just we try to pull levers and push boulders and get things out of the way. But then when you make a change that is perhaps making it easier for people to get healthcare or easier for people to get savings for their retirement or public services, you're having an impact on millions and not just once, but for years and years. So really encourage you to think about ways that you can bring your technical skills to government, even just for a short time when you, when you get to uh, that point in your life. Yeah, that's really incredible and congrats to you and thank you for getting that passed. But lastly, I just wanted to ask a little bit of a fun question. So you did a TED talk. What was the best part of doing that? How did that all come about? And can you just give us a little bit of a talk on how that all came together? So I did TEDx Beacon Street, which is one of the biggest TEDx out there. and. Honestly, I, I got there probably because I was working at the White House and I just said, hey, I want to do this. And they said, sure. So I talked about computer science education. I, I would really like to do another one. It's gotten a lot harder uh, to do in terms of the big TED stage these days. But I think I could make a, a compelling pitch about the last mile education fund and this idea of abundance investing in young people. It's super nerve wracking because you don't have any like cards or teleprompter or anything to help you. You have to like have memorized the whole thing. And I'm really glad I did it in person with an audience because having that audience there is really critical for me. It's so hard to just talk it to a Zoom, I find. And I, I think if you have something you want to share, just do it. There's so many TEDx's out there that you can apply to. And then there's lots of others. There's Ignite Talks and Flash Talks and lots of other different like short format ways to share your stories. Um, you could be on podcasts. But it was really fun. And um, there were a lot of other really great people giving their talks that day. So part of the, the TED experience is actually the network that you become part of as doing that. I actually just recently went to TEDx Boston, which is what 10x Beacon Street has become. And there were some really great talks about data science, about the value of immigrants to our economy. And it's always inspiring to see the different interesting things that people are working on and doing. And so highly recommend that as a venue for your passions. And I believe they do have like a TEDx youth or something like that. Wow, that's really cool. And I'll definitely check that out and recommend anyone listening to check that out. Is there anything you wanted to plug at the end of the podcast? Definitely, if you are a young um, lady, um, go to aspirations.org. And I think you can register there to get notifications when things are coming. Because mm -hmm. what you get with Aspirations in Computing is this amazing community of other technically inclined young people. 
and and you get me as your fairy godmother. I'm there, and there's many other fairy godmothers in that in that group that are there to help you with things like interviewing and <laughs> applying for college and essays for scholarships and all the things that you might be doing or just like to just complain or vent or talk about things. It's just such a great community. So for the young women, definitely do that. Um, for all of the students listening, there's so many amazing opportunities to learn technology these days. So many. If you if you go to the connectory.org, that is a great database to just search for STEM education opportunities anywhere in the U.S. Look around you. It's in the Girl Scouts. It's in the Boy Scouts. It's in 4-H, Boys and Girls Club. There's so many places for you to learn now. And that's, I think, the greatest development we've had in the last few years is the greater attention on this. And then there's great places to learn online. And so absolutely do that. And of course, you know, Congressional App Challenge is a fantastic activity as well to showcase your skills and connect. And then my final piece of advice is just, you know, be the squeaky wheel. Like we don't know what you aspire to do if you don't tell us. And so people who are in positions of power and influence like I am now, we want to share your story and tell people about what you're doing. So just tell us and we will um, share it with others. And those can lead to opportunities that you would never expect. Amazing. Thank you so much for joining us. And now I'll pop it over to our next segment. Hello, everyone. I'm Michael Batavia, and welcome to another installment of the Pop Culture Bite, where we'll bring you the latest buzz in the intersection between tech and current pop culture trends. Let's start off with some interesting news related to cryptocurrencies. Back in 2017, the Taihudu family decided to liquidate everything they owned, including a 2,500-square-foot house and all earthly possessions, for Bitcoin and a life on the road. This was when the price of Bitcoin was around $900 a coin. Now that Bitcoin is worth around $42,000 a coin, the family has a sizable nest egg that is guarded securely in vaults in four different continents. They have traveled the whole world for the past five years, but they have finally decided to settle down in Portugal. Why Portugal, you may ask? Portugal is the only country in Europe to have a 0% tax on all cryptocurrency. The reason behind this is because Portugal views cryptocurrencies as a form of payment rather than a form of property. Any capital gains made on crypto are not subjected to personal income taxes. It isn't just the Taihudu family, though, that are immigrating to Portugal. According to the 2021 population census, the number of foreign residents in Portugal increased by 40% in the last decade, likely similar crypto investors. Don't think of immigrating to the country for the tax, though, if you're a U.S. citizen. The U.S. still requires you to pay an exit tax for any crypto capital gains, even if you move somewhere else in your lifetime. What a bummer. Although there are these strict regulations for crypto taxes in the U.S., you can thank the country for its somewhat laissez-faire approach to decentralized cryptocurrencies. This isn't the case in China. During the debut of the 2022 Beijing Winter Olympics, China released a digital yuan to be utilized for foreign athletes and its citizens for the first time. Similar to the idea of a command economy in communism, the digital yuan is China's way to force the crypto industry in the communist perspective. There can only be one cryptocurrency owned by the government. While the release of the digital yuan has left some Western countries thinking about a government-owned digital currency, there may be a lot of issues surrounding such an innovation. According to Emily Parker, executive director of Coindesk, 
Any privacy and anonymity that was originally correlated to the crypto industry and its founding has been exchanged for the government having direct access to all of its users' data and direct control over the currency. Say goodbye to your privacy. Instead of having freedom to choose what you buy, the government may enforce restrictions on only being able to buy food or water off the currency or only toiletries. While no government so far has gone to these limits, it remains to be seen what purpose China has with its digital yuan and if other countries will take China's lead on this endeavor. On a more lighthearted note though, let's talk about Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is today. The police in Whitman, Massachusetts sent a fairly humorous warning out to men on Friday, reminding them to pick up a card for their loved ones before ordering all of the game day snacks for the Super Bowl. According to the Facebook post, men must resist the urge to stop at any Home Depot or Lowe's while traveling to the nearby pharmacy as they must not deviate from their mission. Once they get into the card aisle of the pharmacy, they must time themselves for exactly two minutes to get in and out or their chance of success decreases by 68%. Also, they need to pick up the card on Saturday and not Sunday as their mind will quickly go to talk football after the game instead of sprinting to buy a gift. No man in Whitman should fall victim to an angry wife or girlfriend on Valentine's Day. They have to remember to do the right thing. The whole message is fantastic and can be found on the Facebook profile of the Whitman Police Department if you want to hear the rest. They precisely define what a card is for men. It's great. Well, that's all the time we have for today's Pop Culture Bite. We hope you enjoyed it and got a healthy dose on what's been training for the last couple weeks. We'll see you back here next week. Now back to you, Meta. And that's that. Thanks so much to our tech news expert. And thank you so much to our tech fans and listeners. This has been the Congressional App Challenge Debugged Podcast. Be sure to check us out on all podcast streaming platforms. And if you want to hit up our social medias, check out the Congressional App Challenge on Twitter and Instagram. I'm your host, Medha Gupta, signing off. Thanks for listening. Bye.